Hey there, everybody. It's Seth with the Classic Gaming Brothers. So it's going to be, unfortunately, another uh, episode without Zach. He hasn't been around, and I assume that he is still very sick. Uh, I actually haven't really talked to him. I didn't even confirm whether... Hold on. What's that noise? Hey, what's this? Wait, what's going on? Who's... Hey, hey, hey! Hey! Hello. Hello. Were you in there this whole time? Yeah, so I sent a message to you. Yeah. Uh, and it said I was stuck. Oh. Uh, I, I delete most of your messages anyway. That's fair. So you must have assumed I said sick. Right. So that was that like odd thumping noise the entire time Jim was here? Yeah, well, I was trying to get Jim's attention because I thought Jim would want to, you know, let me out because at that point I thought it was fruitless to try to get your attention. Thankfully, we had a large uh, box of uh, unperishable food that I could eat. Um, It was mostly saltines and uncooked soup that I had to open with a a pair of keys to my car, not to the closet. So (laughs) I survived. Well, that's good. Do you want to uh, start the episode? Uh, Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Classic Gaming Brothers. I'm Zach. And I'm Seth. We are the Classic Gaming Brothers. That's That's right. That's right. I do want to thank Jim for filling in for me uh, last week while I was uh, indisposed. But um, I'm here now and uh, everything is A-OK, right? Yeah, I guess so. Anyway, we're back together as brothers. And Seth, thankfully, while I was trapped and unable to get to this episode... uh, uh, or the last episode, I was still able to play video games for some reason. So well, we, that's why we we scatter video game consoles throughout the uh, the studio just in case. Yeah. So I do have a recently played. Oh, what have you been recently been playing? My recently played is Magicka Two, which is an action adventure sequel to Magicka One. Magicka Two came out in 2015 by Paradox Interactive, and uh, I have never played the first Magicka. Uh, at all but a friend of mine bought me a copy of magicka 2 just out of the blue and said hey i want to play co-op with my friends and i said i'm one of those friends so uh we've been playing magicka 2 co-op in the game you play as wizards and you cast spells the game has pvp which is hilarious because you're supposed to be all working on the same team but you can injure your friends uh so like sometimes your friend might walk in front of you when you're casting like a fireball and you just roast them alive there's also ways you can combine spells um so certain spells are considered like opposites to each other so the healing spell is the opposite of the death spell if both of these spells combine it causes a massive explosion so sometimes your friend might try to heal one of your other friends and you might be trying to stop an enemy that's close to that other friend so you cast the death spell then you blow up everyone (laughs) so it's it is though a really fun game and there's no really uh penalty if your character dies you come back uh, there's like a resurrection spell your other friends can cast and if everyone dies at least in our game we have like a little totem that follows us it will resurrect everyone and then charge up during the next game so ideally you just don't die when he's still charging it's a it's a fun game i really like it it's a weird game when i went into it initially i thought it was going to be way more serious than it is but it is one of those games where it's definitely trying to be funny your guide in the game is this like vampire who has a very stereotypical like dracula voice Mm. and he's kind of goofy and then all the like villagers and stuff that you encounter all are goofy and they just do goofy things yeah but primarily you're playing the game for the gameplay not the story yeah it doesn't bother me that much because it's yes they're trying to make me laugh but i'm not it's not the point to try to make me laugh the point is to actually have a good time and play the game i am enjoying it and i'll probably continue playing it with my friends next time we play video games 
fun. What I've been recently been playing is Baldur's Gate, Siege of the Dragon Spear, and I beat it, which is, I want to just get that out of the nice. way. I'm very happy. If you are a longtime listener, uh, you may know that I've been playing through Baldur's Gate for a while. I've been playing as a elven fighter mage named Gentry, and he's almost like, I would say, closer to me as a brother than Zach is at this point in time in my life. That's fair. And I've experienced all the highs and lows with Gentry. We went, we got through Baldur's Gate. We went through Baldur's Gate Siege of the Dragon Spear. What I'm kind of sad, though, is now, so I'm on to Baldur's Gate 2 with Gentry. So I'm able to import Gentry into Baldur's Gate 2. However, Siege of the Dragon Spear is an additional expansion on top of Baldur's Gate according to the way that Beamdog or the Switch set it up, which makes sense. So essentially Baldur's Gate is Baldur's Gate, Tales of the Sword Coast, and the Siege of the Dragon Spear. I always say this because when you import the character into Baldur's Gate 2 and then to go on to Throne of Ball, your playtime is isolated from those two games because it tracks how many days of gameplay you're in the game. And so when I finished Siege of the Dragon Spear, I think I was at 380 days from the beginning of my Baldur's Gate journey. So essentially not a playtime of like game time. And so that's like interesting to know that Gentry has aged a year. Like everyone's aged a year since like he left Candlekeep so long ago as a uh, first level fighter mage. Now he's eighth level mage, ninth level fighter, or vice versa. And we're in the second tier of the game. So fun fact about Baldur's Gate Seeds of Dragon Spear is that it was developed by Beamdog, which was founded by Trent Oster of Bioware. Oh. And this episode is about Bioware. Yes. If you're wondering about the gameplay of Siege of the Dragon Spear, uh, it essentially bridges the gap between Baldur's Gate and Baldur's Gate 2 and explains why you start in Baldur's Gate 2 in a prison, but you end Baldur's Gate 1 as a hero. And I think it does a pretty good job at explaining that whole story and kind of connects the dots with your character who, according to the story is is this big hero but then like a small little thing just screws up and all of a sudden everyone hates him yeah anyway so that's what i've been playing lately is uh baldur's gate siege of the dragon spear i'm happy to say that i beat it i'm on to baldur's gate too so maybe in a i don't know sometime in 2023 i'll have an update about beating baldur's gate too if i beat it before then i'll be surprised but i'll be happy Anyway, so as I said uh, earlier, this episode is going to be about Bioware. And now Bioware, when you think about it, is synonymous with games like Mass Effect and Dragon Age, which are two very large properties that are decidedly also owned by Electronic Arts. However, Bioware has been around since 1995 as a game company and really was due to their success that led them to being purchased by Electronic Arts. So where did they come from and why are they called Bioware? Well, there's actually a fun story and buckle up we're gonna tell it first we'll go back in time back to the 90s where there were three guys trent oster his brother Brent Oster and his best friend Marcel Jeshuk. They got together while Trent was in college and they decided to form a computer consulting firm. And during the night, they worked on making a video game. So computer consultants by day, video game developers by night. And Trent eventually put down the bet. He said if they could build a video game, the three of them, by the end of the summer, they will become professional video game developers full time. The end of the summer came and black. Asteroids 3D was created. The classic Bioware game. Pre-Bioware game. Blasteroids 
3D was essentially the game Asteroids, but it was in first person. And according to Trent Oster himself, it was, quote, quite horrible. However, they created it within the deadline. So, by the laws of the land and all things, by ways of placing down bets with your friends, they were now professional video game developers. So now let's change our perspective. At the exact same time, there were three fresh Canadian doctors, Ray Mazuka, Augustine Yip, and Greg Zushuk. Now with a name like Zushuk, you can imagine Greg and Marcel were related, which they were. They were cousins. So they each knew about each other and knew they each had these kind of friends. So Greg knew Marcel hung out with the Oster brothers, and Marcel knew that he hung out with these other doctors, Augustine and Ray. Ray, Augustine, and Greg all met at residence at the University of Alberta's Faculty of Medicine, which is a Canadian doctor school, and ended up working together on medical software called Gastroenterology Patient Simulator, which sounds fascinating. It doesn't look anything like that uh, surgeon simulator game no <laughs> it's real medical software and they developed it and sold it and they made a lot of money with that however they really loved video games and they wanted to do something they were like hey we're actually pretty good at coding and making software let's do something that's actually creative versus making medical software, which I guess is a little creative for any of those who are out there making medical software, but empirically not as creative as making a video game. And Greg knew that Marcel's group was also into like computers and video games. So Greg was like, hey, let's get together. So they all got together in Greg's basement and created BioWare. And I'm guessing bio came from three of them being doctors. When they formed up Bioware, Trent, Brent, and Marcel were already working on their next game, Shattered Steel, a mech simulation game that would eventually go on to be relatively successful. So Greg, Ray, and Augustine started to help them out with, you know, working on the game and getting it over the finish line. However, just because everyone loved making video games and was excited about working on it, doesn't mean that everyone's personalities line up, just like in real life. And according to Trent, his brother Brent was actually rather difficult to work with and ended up initially convincing the group that Marcel was not pulling his weight around the company. And Greg, being kind of the de facto leader, had to make the tough decision and let him go due to Brent pushing on him, saying that Marcel was not helping the company succeed. For Trent, it was uncomfortable to say the least. Greg had to fire his own cousin, who was Trent's best friend because of Trent's brother. Brent eventually brought up similar complaints about Augustine, except this time, the group had backed Augustine and Trent and Brent left Bioware on their own accord and took with them Shattered Steel to go work on it in a newly formed studio called Pyrotech Studios. After nine months working together on the project, Brent was fed up working with his brother. And it came out to where they eventually they, they split up working together. Brent went off to go to work at Origin and Trent went back to Bioware and brought with him Shattered Steel. For those keeping track at home, Shattered Steel started at Bioware, left Bioware, and came back to Bioware. Now, Shattered Steel would eventually get released, and it would be released in 1996 uh, at the right and wrong time. Uh, the right time for these early developers, as technology was changing from a 16-bit DOS to a 32-bit DOS, so even the industry veterans had to relearn how everything worked, but the wrong time since it was a mech simulation game, and Activision had released a little game that they called Mech Warrior 2 Mercenaries, which not only was based on an existing 
existing popular IP, um, but was also based on the existing popular pen and paper game. Trent said that ultimately they got crushed by MechWarrior 2, but they did do okay, enough so that Interplay was happy to continue to work with them, as they are the ones that published the game. Now, Shattered Steel was still successful enough so that BioWare became a relatively full-fledged studio. BioWare would have about 30 people working, and they split up the teams where one group would be working on Shattered Steel 2, and the other group was working on an RPG game called Battleground Infinity. Eventually, Interplay stepped in and said no to Shattered Steel 2. So the team would go on to work on a game called MDK2. So at the time that all this was happening with Shattered Steel 2 being cancelled, and that team going to work on MDK2, Trent was working on the Battleground Infinity team. Battleground Infinity was a tech demo that was done in 16,000 colors in a 640 by 480 aspect ratio. So it was a very nice looking demo compared to the 256 color standard at the time. Uh, so Bioware shopped out the demo to studios to find if someone wanted to publish it. According to Oster, no, no one wanted to publish it because it was horrible. <laughs> now, Battleground Infinity was set during Ragnarok, which is the uh, Viking-like apocalypse, and was to be the last war between the gods and have this war be between various mythologies, not just the Viking mythologies. However, in the demo, all you could do was go over to an enemy and click and shoot a fireball at them. Furthermore, the mid-90s were not a good time for Western RPGs. Uh, the gold box games were currently dipping in sales versus the figures that they were seeing prior, and no one was really interested in trying to revive the Western RPG. That is except a little company called Black Isle. Now, Interplay had a division called Black Isle that was led by Fergus Urquhart. This is the studio that brought everyone Fallout and Fallout 2. So we have talked about Black Isle before. We've talked about Interplay before. Now, when they they were shown Battleground Infinity. They thought it was amazing and they loved it. They hated everything about it, but they thought the demo was really impressive. They just thought the story was stupid. So they realized something. Fergus was like, hey, I got a license that might fit really well with this engine you guys have developed that isn't stupid like your game. This this license is a little license called Dungeons and Dragons. Which Trent was a huge fan of. Trent, according to those who knew him, liked two things in life, Dungeons and Dragons and Star Wars. They actually were like, well, where would we set this Dungeons and Dragons game? And Trent said, well, the Forgotten Realms, where else? The greatest realm at the time for D&D. So they would move forward with creating the Dungeons and Dragons game within the Battleground Infinity Engine, where they would drop the name Battleground, and the engine would be hence known as the Infinity Engine. And throughout the development of Baldur's Gate, Ray Mazuka and Greg Zeshuk would end up actually leaving the medical field and becoming full-time video game developers. And Augustine Yip decided that video game development culture wasn't for him. He is credited to saying the long hours in rooms full of predominantly men working on computer screens with dim lights and no windows was not fit for a guy who was really trying to be with his family his uh, he just had some new children born and was really just not wanting to do a lot of the crunch work that was required to really put these games out. And uh, he would go on to have a pretty successful doctoring career and would go back into medicine full time. Baldur's Gate would finally be released and would go on to ship two million copies of the game, which was very successful. 
In fact, Baldur's Gate almost matched the copies shipped of a little game that was released in the previous year, Diablo. So Interplay was very happy with what Baldur's Gate created. In fact, they thought it was so great that they thought it was a winning formula. Use the Infinity Engine, slap D&D stuff in there, write a long story with pretty pictures and sprites, and have at it. And Black Isle would actually go on to make multiple games using the Infinity Engine, uh, such as Planescape Torment and the Icewind Dale series, which Black Isle would handle the development in-house. So if you ever wondered where you have like Planescape Torment, Icewind Dale, Icewind Dale 2, and why they are similar but not quite the same as Baldur's Gate, it's because they were developed by a different studio. BioWare would actually take a break and they would go back to action games and go on to release MDK2 on the PC, Dreamcast, and PlayStation 2. This would also signify that BioWare was interested in making console games, as MDK2 for the Dreamcast and PlayStation 2 would be their one of their first console game releases. Now, even though MDK2 did very well, they were actually back at the RPGs right after MDK2 was released, and they were working on a sequel to Baldur's Gate, which would be called Baldur's Gate 2. I also think part of the reason why Baldur's Gate and Baldur's Gate 2, I mean, they they have subtitles, right? Like Baldur's Gate 2 is Baldur's Gate 2, Shadows of Om. But I think part of that is because they actually had difficulty getting to the original name of Baldur's Gate, and they apparently spent so long debating the name that eventually they just decided meh, let's just stay with Baldur's Gate. And there were people in the Bioware team suggesting offensive names just to get away from the debate on what to call the game. Now, we actually talk about Baldur's Gate and Baldur's Gate 2 quite at length, and we actually talk a little bit about Baldur's Gate 3 back in episode 65 with Theo from the Gallant Goblin. Be that as it may, I'm a giant fan of the game, and Baldur's Gate 2 would go on to sell equally as well as its predecessor. However, it wouldn't sell enough to keep the publisher afloat, and Interplay would start going into financial troubles. So with Interplay financially not doing so well, Bioware would then change publishers and and go work for Infograms. And Infograms would actually eventually become Atari, which we talk about back in the Atari episode, way back in episode 24. But essentially, Infogram bought the Atari name and rebranded themselves as Atari. And that's why Neverwinter Nights which is kind of like the spiritual successor to Baldur's Gate 2, would be published by Atari. Now, interestingly enough, in order to do Neverwinter Nights, Bioware was able to acquire the license for D&D from Wizards of the Coast, which was taken from Interplay. So Interplay had the license. They started hitting financial difficulties, so they sold the license to Bioware, and Bioware used it to make a D&D game for another publisher. Bioware would then sell their D&D license over to Atari, which is why you would get the Temple of Elemental Evil game not developed by Bioware, but still published by Atari. And Bioware would go on to make Star Wars games. And they would make Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic, and they would go on and make Jade Empire, which I believe Jade Empire was published by Microsoft. So now, look at this. Bioware had still decent relationships with Interplay, D&D license aside. They had relationships with Interplay Entertainment, Atari, LucasArts, and Microsoft. Now they're kind of getting to where they're a pretty well-known video game development house and just were releasing success after success. Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic, Jade Empire, both of them sold pretty well. In 2005, Bioware would go to partner with Pandemic Studios along with a private equity firm called Elevation Partners, and they would decide to go on to produce new video games together as a unit. However, 
2007, Electronic Arts bought the partnership, and thus, Bioware became a part of EA. Where it resides today. From 2007 to today... A lot has changed in Bioware. They would go on to release Mass Effect 1 in 2007. EA would eventually merge them together with Mythic Entertainment so that all role-playing games would be developed by one development house. And Mythic Entertainment had some experience with MMORPGs. So with Mythic Entertainment and Bioware combined, they would go on to announce The Old Republic in 2006, which would eventually get released in 2011. Uh, In 2009, the whole Bioware group was restructured. Ray Mazuka, who was still with Bioware, would become the Bioware general manager of the Bioware group, and Greg Zushuk would become the group creative officer. And in 2009, they released Dragon Age Origins, and from about 2010 to today, they had a number of staff departures, including Ray and Greg, who would retire from gaming industry together in 2012, and Trent Oster would leave during this time as well. Trent would actually go on to form Beamdog. He would go on to form his own publishing company and now he's working at wizards of the coast under their video game division to working on some unreleased game at this time and with the departure of ray and greg in 2012 they would be it that would be the entire original six of bioware bioware would it still goes on to live as a company these six guys got together and in a basement formed something that is pretty well known throughout the world and it's kind of cool to see that experience so we're going to talk about the games that they have released with the original six and without um and we'll go over some sales figures but i just want to take a moment and acknowledge what these guys did and really put together the decision to be like let's make some video games with a little seed capital from some successful doctors the three doctors um, originally put in a hundred thousand dollars of their own money which is a lot of money that they made off selling medical software so for those who are aspiring video game developers all you have to do is find five of your friends that you can vaguely get along with and uh, make a lot of money selling something about poop. It's and true. <laughs> there you go. Now, um, to talk about Bioware games, Bioware put out a handful of games, uh, enough so that we felt it made sense to talk about all of the games that they put out a little bit in today's episode. We will certainly go and visit some of these games in more depth someday, but this is a good way of just kind of getting an idea of what Bioware has done. Uh, so they did Shattered Steel, then they did Baldur's Gate, and then I think technically Baldur's Gate came out before MDK2, even though MDK2 was in development prior to Baldur's Gate, but MDK2 came out in 2000. This is a sequel to MDK, which was a a third-person shooter developed by Shiny Entertainment. And MDK2 is a also third-person shooter. It's apparently okay. It's available on various platforms, uh, PlayStation 2, Dreamcast, and Steam. Also in 2000, Bioware released Baldur's Gate 2 Shadows of Am, which is set shortly after the events of the first game. And in 2002, they returned to the Forgotten Realms IP and worked alongside Obsidian Entertainment to release Neverwinter Nights, which is unrelated to the 1991 Neverwinter Nights, which was the MMORPG we talked about when we went over right. gold box games. The Neverwinter Nights that Bioware and Obsidian worked on did have a persi- there were persistent worlds that you could join 
so you could almost play another MMORPG Neverwinter Nights game. Now, in 2003, as we've discussed, BioWare got their hands on the Star Wars license, which I'm sure Trent was very excited about. And they put out Knights of the Old Republic, which is a fantastic game that also probably deserves its own episode. Now, KOTOR, as it's called by a lot of fans, is a third-person RPG where you play as a Jedi who has a lot of things happen to them in their existence. And there's a twist at the end, which I'm not going to spoil for people who want to play the game and experience it for the first time. Anyway, after that, they released Jade Empire. Jade Empire was actually the first action role-playing game they developed based on their own IP. And it came out in 2005 on the Xbox. After that, they released another thing that was their own IP, Mass Effect, which I think everyone knows about Mass Effect, right? I mean, Mass Effect is like a pretty famous game um, and probably what you're familiar with with Bioware for beyond maybe Dragon Age and maybe Baldur's Gate. In Mass Effect, you play as a man named Commander Shepard or a woman named Commander Shepard. And Commander Shepard uh, is a fun fun character. I love Commander Shepard. After Mass Effect, I think Bioware released their magnum opus. I think they released the best game that is ever to be released by anyone. Sonic Chronicles The Dark Brotherhood. Sonic Chronicles is an RPG title set in the Sonic franchise where Sonic must stop a group of evil echidnas who have kidnapped Knuckles. Fun fact about The Dark Brotherhood, the music in it is terrible. Also another fun fact, Ken Penders, who wrote for the Sonic comic series, sued Bioware and Sega multiple times and his lawsuit was dismissed multiple times. They also released an iOS mobile game for Mass Effect that was developed by Bioware in 2009 called Mass Effect Galaxy. It was okay. Also in 2009, Bioware released Dragon Age Origins, which was the role-playing game that became the starting point for the Dragon Age franchise. And Dragon Age Origins and Mass Effect are unique as they are both Bioware intellectual properties in their own rights. Both of them are really 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 awesome and they both have really they really show the strength of bioware and that's the writing bioware decided they really like sequels and mass effect 2 and dragon age 2 both released in 2010 2011 mass effect 2 is a improvement on mass effect 1 dragon age 2 in my opinion is not an improvement on dragon age origins there was also a dragon age legends which was launched in 2011 which is a freemium flash game for google plus which really they probably had like one guy do speaking of free to play uh bioware jumped into the world of mmorpgs with star wars the old republic in december of 2011 uh seth and i have played that once because it is still available to play it's a pretty fun game another mass effect game came out the next year in 2012 this game mass effect 3 it's arguably a little controversial in terms of its ending at least uh it was so controversial that bioware released a dlc to fix the ending i would say 99 percent of the game is great just save the game right before the ending and never beat it uh do you prefer the um because you're you're really into mass effect do you prefer the dlc yeah. retcon in my canon <laughs> in my canon commander shepherd takes a shotgun and just runs up and down the reapers blowing them apart with a shotgun and then he leaps from the last one and just flies to Earth. And <laughs> just with his boots. Like. It, just, it just like hero stomps into the middle of the city, gets up and uh, goes, goes to the bar and has a drink. Like, that's my, that's my canon ending. Bioware also uh, went back to online after they released Mass Effect 3, and they released a game called Warhammer Online Wrath of Heroes, which is a MOBA, or multiplayer online battle arena, similar to League of Legends. In 2014, they were working on a Command & Conquer project, which I think would have been really cool. Yeah, Command & Conquer RPG. 
Yeah, that got canceled. Bioware would release Dragon Age Inquisition, which did really well and people liked it, though I think it is a divided community when it comes to that game. It's certainly, I don't think, as uh, controversial as uh, Mass Effect 3 was, but uh, I think it is, uh, it's still considered a pretty good game. After Dragon Age Inquisition, they released Mass Effect Andromeda, uh, which is not a pretty good game. And so here's the thing about Mass Effect Andromeda and Dragon Age Inquisition. There are people who enjoy those games, and if you enjoy those games, good for you. I'm not going to I'm not going to judge you in any way and I'm serious about that. As somebody who played and really enjoyed the Mass Effect series and I'm talking about the original Mass Effect game and the original Dragon Age Origins games. Those two games when I originally played them, Mass Effect 1 and Dragon Age Origins, I had moments where I was like this game is probably the greatest game that I'm playing right now. I I identified that with Mass Effect pretty early on in the game. I was like, this game is ridiculous and I love it. So I think there's a group of people that are like me who felt that way about the original Mass Effect and Dragon Age Origins. Dragon Age Inquisition and Mass Effect Andromeda feels like to me that they took the writing and the whole like structure of the game and then they they dumped it into like a desert. And so the game's the game's there, but there's also a lot of nothing. And that nothing is overwhelming for both of those games to the point where to this day I have not beaten either Mass Effect Andromeda and Dragon Age Inquisition. And I also have no desire to beat either of them. Now, speaking of things that people didn't like that BioWare released in 2019, they released a game called Anthem. This is kind of like their answer to Destiny. And it was an online-only multiplayer action role-playing game, which, like Destiny 1, no one really plays it anymore. Except Anthem didn't have a sequel. I was really excited about Anthem. A lot of people were. Until they said it was a looter shooter multiplayer. And I said, no. And I, to this day, haven't played Anthem. Bioware's most recent project was Mass Effect of Legendary Edition, which they released in 2021. It's a remaster of the first three games. The best part of the remaster is that it remasters Mass Effect 1 and really updates it to more of a Mass Effect 2, Mass Effect 3 style, making it easier for those who like Mass Effect 2 to go back and play replay Mass Effect 1. Because replaying Mass Effect 1 after playing Mass Effect 2, you get halfway through Mass Effect 1 and you realize, you know what, I could just play Mass Effect 2. And that's what ends up happening 100% of the time when I played it. So their next project is going to be Dragon Age Dreadwolf, which is currently to be announced in regards to when it's actually going to come out. They are also working on a new Mass Effect title, which is currently called New Mass Effect. And according to rumors, uh, Shepard will be coming back, which is great because maybe they'll accept my canon ending and it'll just be like an opening cinematic where first they have like uh, the like thing from Clue where like Tim Curry comes through and is like, well, that's (laughs) the way that it could have happened. This is how it actually happened. And then it's just Shepard like running up and down Reapers, shooting them with a shotgun and then leaping to earth falling and then just like crashed heroes landing onto it then he just needs to stand up and turn to like uh morden or grunt or someone and just be like well that was a hell of a thing probably just rex right have rex there and then have him crash down turn to rex be like rex that was a hell of a thing and he'll be like shepherd 
Now, BioWare released a lot of games, and there's a lot of sales, so we're not going to go through and go through every single sales, but we we wanted to talk about units shipped to show like what were their most successful units shipped and what their most unsuccessful units were shipped. So let's just start off real quick and say Shattered Steel shipped the least. They shipped 170,000 units. Their highest shipped game was Mass Effect 3, which shipped 7 million units, which talks about people's love of a trilogy and it's cool because it actually has this like ramp up of mass effect one being two million mass effect two being five million and then mass effect three being seven million so you can see there was a lot of people that were were mad the rest of the games tend to fall within the two to three million mark with the exception of jade empire and sonic chronicles jade empire selling five hundred thousand units and sonic chronicles selling eight hundred eighty thousand units so a lot of hits though, a lot of multi-million. We don't have any real unit movement for iOS apps or anything like that. My assumption, until proven otherwise, was they probably sold poorly or they sold really, really well. Yeah, so that's going to be our Bioware episode. It's a, it's a company that is has a strong place in my heart. Hopefully this is a redemption arc. Hopefully the new Mass Effect and the new Dragon Age game will be uh will be worthy of my I don't worry listeners. I'll tell you what I feel about them when they come out because I'll probably have I will be polarized one way or the other. I will either love them or I will hate them and that's really my only my only future experiences with any games done by BioWare. I don't have really meh reactions. I do want to say part of me assumes that they're going to give new Mass Effect a, a different name. Part of me also really hopes they just call it new mass effect because that's a very silly name <laughs> i i hope it's uh they call it mass effect not andromeda this time starring commander shepherd <laughs> all right so we're gonna wrap up our bioware episode and then jumping over to our retro rewind segment and to remind everybody i reminded everyone last episode but to remind everybody this episode uh i gave zach american tale five old goals west and yeah zach gave me clock tower zach do you want to take it away with american tale so i played american tale five old goals west this is a super nintendo game created by hudson soft and i did not like it it's not a very good game i don't know if other people liked it i think i looked up reviews of it and i think they were mediocre at best in the game you play as fivel who's a little mouse who uh came to america back in the movie an american tale in the fivel goes west storyline which was based on the second movie you are now in the west as fivel has gone there in the game you have to walk around and shoot cats with a pop gun that shoots corks at them. The gun does not seem to work. You will shoot the cats with the pop gun. Sometimes it will one hit kill the cat. They will like instantly be taken out. Other times I had to spam it, like shoot the cat six times to get it to seem to react. I don't know why. I don't know if I'm just not hitting the cat in the right place, if they have some weird hitbox, but it was very frustrating. Also, Fifle doesn't really control very well, despite being a mouse. He's very bad at jumping, uh, and he's very bad at getting to places that are high up. So the answer to the question of does it hold up? No. Uh, do I recommend it? If you hate playing video games and you never want to enjoy anything ever again, yes. Play Fifle Goes West. I mean, Hudson Soft has made other games that weren't... Hudson Soft has made some fantastic games. <laughs> Hudson Soft has made amazing games this is not one of them <laughs> so what what am i what am i playing for next week next week seth i want you to play a game called kirby's avalanche oh okay it's going to be for the super nintendo i will uh check it out so zach had me play clock tower also well clock tower was actually not released for the super nintendo in fact it was released for the super famicom in 1995 now you'll be like well seth super famicom super nintendo aren't they adjacent systems yeah they are it, 
except when the ports never come to America, then they're not. So Clock Tower was a strictly Japanese release, and it was developed by Human Entertainment. I played a uh, fan translation. In the game, you play as Jennifer, and she is part of a group of orphaned girls who are randomly decided to be adopted by the Barrows family, who are very wealthy. And they're brought to the Barrows mansion by this lady, who I would assume is their governess. There is a big cinematic in the beginning, and I paid not close attention to it. So this governess brings all the four orphan girls into this large mansion, and then just walks off to do something. I didn't I didn't, I didn't, didn't read that part. And she takes a long time doing that thing, to the point where Jennifer gets antsy, and is like, I'm gonna go find her, since this lady is taking taking her sweet ass time and so jennifer walks off screen you controlling jennifer walks off screen and then there's this like scream the music starts changing and the lights go like dim and you go back into the room that you were in and all the girls are missing so then you have to slowly but you can now run explore the mansion uh you go up to some stairs things are like the balcony like falls away and you go down and you start exploring other rooms and you go into this bathroom where you open up a shower and there is one of the orphans hung in the shower. This game is a horror game, just as an FYI. And also in the shower is a small man with a gigantic pair of scissors. <laughs> and he chases you. He chases you very slowly, and Jennifer walks very slowly. Uh, you can run, but he eventually chases you and tries to murder you. I was murdered because I got stuck at the door, and I couldn't go through the door because Jennifer wouldn't listen to me. I think the game is unique. Uh, it's a point-and-click adventure game on the uh, Super Famicom, where you have to use your directional pad to move the cursor around. And and it plays relatively well. I think that if you're a fan of the horror genre and a fan of point-and-click adventure games, you may actually have a lot of fun with Clock Tower. It does a really good job with the atmosphere and kind of making things seem on edge with really only having the threat being the guy with scissors. And you can't actually fight him. You have to like hide from him, even though you find weapons. I imagine I'd have to play through it all to figure out why the scissor man is doing it, but I didn't. So yeah, I think the game holds up well. And I think that if you are a very particular person, you may like to play Clock Tower. And for next week, I want Zach to play Lemmings, specifically on the Apple II. Sounds good. Well, uh, listener, you can listen to us talk about those games next week. If you are interested in sharing our podcast around, certainly let people know that they can listen to us on any of the available podcasting applications out there. We're on everything, including uh, Spotify. We're on uh, CastBox. We're on Amazon. But we're also on iTunes, and we do like when people leave us reviews and comments on iTunes. So be sure to do that if you can. If you haven't yet, we greatly appreciate it if you want to get in touch with us let us know what you thought of the episode um, you can email us at classicgamingbrothers at gmail.com you can also reach out to us via our website classicgamingbrothers.com or you could go to our facebook instagram twitch or twitter facebook instagram and twitch are all classic gaming brothers our twitter is cg brothers pod anyway uh with that uh i think that's it i don't think there's anything else i need to talk about Seth, do you have anything? Don't play games like my brother. And don't play games like my brother. I've been Seth. And I've been Zach. And we've been the Classic Gaming Brothers. That's right, Zach.